You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, Kingsway. That's a much better reception than first service. There were there were boos when the Reds player was shown on the screen. I'm thinking that's that's not very kind. Well, hey, my name is Andy. I am super blessed to be here with you today. I've been looking forward to this. I'm excited to to join you here in worship this morning. Do you ever wonder where a pastor goes when they need a pastor? In the middle of COVID, uh, my church that I, I help lead in Auburn, Indiana, just north of Fort Wayne, we were presented with a very difficult situation for our leadership to navigate through. And I won't go into all the details of that. It's a long story, but here's the point. I needed help. And so like a good millennial who needs help, I turned to YouTube. (laughs) And through what can only be described as the, the good grace of our Heavenly Father, I discovered your pastor, Matt Nickerson, on YouTube. And that discovery led to an email, and that email led to a phone call. That phone call led to a friendship, and that friendship ultimately led to an invitation to join something called a covenant group that Matt was starting with a group of pastors. In one of the darkest, most difficult seasons of my life, your pastor became my pastor. And not only that, I was introduced to two other pastors, John and Bill, and if it weren't for the support and the brotherhood of that group within this covenant group, I don't know, to be quite honest with you, if I'd still be preaching. I don't know that I'd still be serving in ministry. So I am incredibly thankful. Kingsway, you are blessed to have your pastor, Matt Nickerson. And doesn't that guy have just the enthusiasm and the energy of like an entire litter of puppies? (laughs) I I love that guy. I love Matt so much. And and through my friendship with Matt, I've gotten to know you. I've gotten to know this church. and, And God is on the move here at Kingsway. I'm a big fan of what God is doing through you. I love these names that you've written and up on the pillars. You're praying for people. You're investing in lost people to come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I think that it's incredible. Lives are being transformed. You have an amazing staff. The people I've interacted with today, your staff and your volunteers, are just incredible people. But most of all, I can tell that this is a place that believes the word of God. This is a place that loves the word of God, and this is a place that's become quite evident where lives are being transformed by the power of God's word. So let's open God's word together this morning. We're going to continue the journey that you have all been uh, journeying through in the gospel of Luke. We're going to start picking up in verse 17 of chapter 6 of the gospel of Luke. So if you would, go ahead and turn with me, join me there. And uh, just for some context, what I'm about to read in verse 17 comes right after Jesus selects from his large group of followers a smaller group of 12, whom he then names apostles, and he sends them into the world as messengers to proclaim the gospel, sending the message of hope into a hopeless world. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me as a a church kid. Were any of you ever tasked with memorizing that list of 12? There can't be a more complicated list of names to memorize I mean, there's two James, there's two Judas, 
There's one guy named Peter, but he doesn't go by Peter. There's one guy that's known as something else, but he goes by Peter. It's like Jesus was like setting up this list of names to really confuse and complicate things for Sunday school kids 2,000 years down the road. I don't really think that's what Jesus was doing. That's all besides the point. What I want to tell us about this morning is that Jesus selected these 12, and little did these 12 know that their lives were about to change. The way that they lived their lives was going to change. When it comes down to it, there's really only two ways to live. You see, you either live as if this earth, this world is all there is. There's no eternity. There's no God. There's no salvation in Jesus. And so the decisions that we make really don't have any effect on anything other than what's here and now. And then there's another way to live. Spoiler alert, it's the right way. There's another way to live where there is an eternity, there is a God, there is salvation in Jesus, and so our decisions do impact something about eternity. And so in the first way to live, because our decisions don't really matter in the grand scheme of eternity, we are the king. We make the rules, we call the shots. And the second way to live, because there's salvation in Jesus, and he is not only Savior, he is also Lord, Jesus is the king of that way to live. There's two ways to live, and what we'll see as we read our text for today is that Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. You see, it's not what you would expect, and this is significant, and this is important for us to understand, and John the Baptist and Jesus himself proclaim this from the beginning. If you go back and, and revisit the beginning of the gospel stories, John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus, and as he does, he quotes the Old Testament, he quotes prophets, and he's saying that in Jesus, all the things that were taught about, about the world changing, about things being flipped upside down, those things are now happening in Jesus. Jesus himself says, the time has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is affirming all of this is happening right now. As Jesus arrived and lived, the kingdom of heaven was being ushered in, and it's an upside-down kingdom that is totally different than what you would expect. All the things that you would think would make you happy and joyful and content in this life don't. And it's actually the opposite of those things that make us happy and joyful and content. And you'll see what I mean as we read. So let's pick up in Luke chapter six, starting in verse 17. This is what the scripture says. After Jesus has selected the 12, it says he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Now put yourself in the shoes of these disciples who had just been named apostles for a moment. I mean, think about this. The Son of God, Jesus himself, has just named you to be one of the 12 who will take this message of salvation in Jesus to the lost world, I would imagine that would be a pretty high spiritual experience. And then they go directly from that. Nothing else happens in the scripture between that and what we just read. They go from that mountaintop experience down to what's been described here in Luke as a level place, and they're immediately met with crowds who are needy. There's work to be done. In my experience, I've, I've had similar experiences happen where there's these mountaintop experiences and it's almost predictable. As soon as that happens, something difficult happens. 
I think Jesus obviously modeled this for us. Jesus was baptized, and then immediately he's led into the wilderness where he faces temptation. That pattern seems to happen so often. But take note of how Jesus interacts with those crowds. He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't overlook them. Instead, this is what the scripture says, starting in verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, let me just say, this is a difficult piece of scripture for a guest preacher to be assigned. You know, it's almost as if Matt is trying to get out of teaching the hard stuff. And so... He invites me, you don't know me, I come into your church, I tell you, hey, you wanna have a good life? You're gonna be poor, you're gonna cry, people are gonna exclude you, you're dismissed, go enjoy this gloomy, rainy day. (laughs) Hang with me, of course that's not the message, and and I truly believe, I've been praying for you, I've been praying for this moment, for this day, it has been my sincere prayer that those of us gathered in this room today would believe and know and feel that this kingdom of Jesus, this upside-down kingdom, is truly the best way to live our lives. That's my prayer for us. And in order for us to grasp this reality, it's important for us to understand these two words that are repeated throughout this entire chapter that we just read. And those are the words blessed or blessed and the word woe. Now, the word blessed uh, is the Greek word makarios, And it just encapsulates everything on the far end of good. It means extremely blessed, happy. And it's as if everything is right with that word, makarios. The word woe is the Greek word ouai. And it's the total opposite end of the spectrum of negativity. It means danger, caution, heavy calamity, grief, and sorrow. And that word in its use in the scriptures has almost like a curse to it, where you say this to curse somebody for the life that they're living and the consequences of it. Now, we use the word blessed or blessed all the time in our culture. We, we use that word. It's common. It's on all the art that uh, Hobby Lobby that you see, blessed. And uh, we don't usually use the word woe unless we're actually reading from the Bible. And so that's a more difficult word for us to grasp and understand. I experienced something a couple of months ago that really helped me get my mind around this concept of the woe, and and hopefully it'll help you understand this as well. Uh, My family, we really enjoy hiking and camping, and over spring break, we went to the Smoky Mountains, and we were headed on a hike uh, to this place called Laurel Falls, and we knew that there were some beautiful waterfalls at the end of it. It's a long hike, and we were hiking along with our two boys. Elijah is nine, and Everett is seven. And, and as we're getting closer and higher in elevation, the path starts to narrow, and the, the cliff starts to get pretty steep. And then we turned to Ben, and we saw this sign. I want to show you a picture of my son Elijah next to the sign that we saw. Look how, look how encouraged he is. Yeah. 
Now, I, I don't know if, if you can read that sign. I want to zoom in on it so we can read the words. It says, danger, falling deaths have occurred. There are high vertical drop-offs ahead along the trail and at the falls, closely control children. You better believe we started to closely control our children. And you know, when I thought about that sign, and I thought about the scripture and the word woe to you that Jesus speaks, it started to make sense. I think the word woe is a lot like this sign. Along the path of life, Jesus has given us these warnings, these cautions. Woe to you. Not just if you do these things, you're gonna get hurt or you're gonna die, but if you listen to the warnings and you stay on the path that I have for you, it is better for you. You get to the waterfall. You get to enjoy the beauty of what I have in store for you. Think about that when you consider the word woe, woe to you. It's, it's more like this. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at each of the four blessings, and then there's the four corresponding woes that go along with them here in Luke chapter 6. So let's just go ahead and look at the first one, which says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then the woe further down in the passage says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus preaches a similar but different sermon. That one's called the Sermon on the Mount. Here in Luke, it's recorded as the Sermon on a Level Place or a Plain. It's likely two different sermons. And in the Gospel of Matthew, he takes this one a step further and says, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, which means we can't afford salvation. This is a spiritual poverty. We need someone else to achieve that, purchase that, earn that for us. We can't do that on our own. That's an easier way to understand this. But I don't think here in Luke, Jesus' words are meant to be taken about spiritual poverty. Instead, I believe that he's actually talking about physical, material, financial wealth. And the reason I think that is, look at the woe. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. And so if Jesus is talking about finances, how we handle money, what does this mean? Does this mean that in order for us to be blessed, we have to be in poverty? Well, I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about because there's a lot of ways that you can be poor. There's a lot of ways that you can have a depleted bank account that aren't very God-honoring. I mean, you can gamble away your money. You can have no money because you're lazy and you haven't earned any money. You could have all your money gone because of some unwise risk that you took financially. So I don't think it's necessarily about a number. Instead, I believe it's about the heart. Just like there's two kingdoms and there's two ways to live. When Jesus teaches about money in the New Testament, we see there's two ways to handle money and it has to do with our heart. Jesus even said, where your treasure goes, your money, there your heart is also. And so this has nothing to do with a, a particular amount. This has to do with our heart towards the money. You see, Jesus, remember who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to Americans in the 21st century. Jesus is talking to a group of people in the ancient Near East in the first century who, by our standards today, all of them are poor. And Jesus, as the Son of God, I believe he knows their hearts. He knows how they feel about being poor. And so he's calling out their hearts and where their hearts are in regard to their finances. And it's not about a number, it's about the heart. See, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. 
that's often misquoted. What does the Bible actually say? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So I ask you today here in this place, when it comes to finances, material wealth, where is your heart? Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I don't know. I want to have a heart that honors God when it comes to finances. How can I tell? Think about this, if you would. If I were to, to give each of you today, before you leave these doors, $1,000, don't get excited. It's not happening. <laughs> I don't have that much money. Uh, but if I were to, to provide you with $1,000 before you left this door, just where does your mind start to go? What are you going to do with that money? What are you going to use that money for? You see, in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, there's a choice that we have to make, and it has to do with our hearts. In the kingdom of this world, we often choose self. And in the kingdom of Jesus, the choice we need to make is stewardship over self. And that word stewardship just simply means to become a manager. Everything is God's. But when you start to think about what's behind the economy and, and financial provisions, it all belongs to the Lord, and we... As children of God, followers of Jesus, we become managers of God's resources. And in the kingdom of Jesus, the upside-down kingdom, this world says use financial resources for yourself. The kingdom of Jesus says manage them for God's good and God's glory. And so if you were to be given $1,000 today and your immediate thought is what can I buy that I want, maybe your heart is in the wrong place. When it comes to the upside-down kingdom, it's not about a number, but it's about the status of our hearts. Are we choosing stewardship over self in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus? Look with me now at the next one. Jesus says this. He says, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Now, this might be very difficult for us to grasp. Again, this is a totally different audience than the audience Jesus was speaking to in the first century. I know that there is poverty globally. I know that even within this country, there, there's poverty and there's hunger, physical hunger. I know even within the city of Indianapolis and surrounding areas, there are people who are indeed going hungry every day. But the, the mass majority of us don't really understand what true physical hunger feels like. I mean, we may think we do. We say it flippantly all the time, oh, I'm starving. But compared to many people in the world, we really don't know. The only time in my life that I have, I think, truly felt hunger is when I'm dieting. And maybe some of you can relate to that. We just have an abundance of food. We have so many choices. When I was a kid, you could choose from two kinds of Oreos, regular and this new one called Double Stuff. Today, my kids go, they choose from an entire aisle full of Oreos. They have carrot cake flavored Oreos. Can you believe that? What's next? Sour cream and onion? I don't know. <laughs> we have an entire selection. We've got an abundance of food. We really don't know what it feels like to have true physical hunger. And what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's pinpointing the reality that there were people in that day and age, just like there are people here in this room today, whose highest value is comfort. We want to be assured that we have enough for ourselves. We want to make sure that above anything else, we have what we need and we can provide for our families. Just like today, there are people whose highest value is comfort, and Jesus is calling that out. 
He is saying, if your highest value in this life is comfort in the here and now, you are in for a rude awakening because there is so much more beyond the here and now. This one is, is particularly difficult for me because I'm the type of person, maybe you're like me, that you appreciate predictability, you appreciate comfort, knowing that you're going to have enough, knowing that your family is going to have enough. So this is hard. Because if we're going to live in the upside-down kingdom, our highest value isn't going to be comfort. Instead, we're going to choose contentment over comfort. And the upside-down kingdom of Jesus will choose contentment over comfort. What I mean by this is contentment regardless of how much we have, regardless of how much we're able to accumulate. The Apostle Paul, in his writings that we have in the New Testament, he calls this a secret. Listen to his letter to the church at Philippi. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul calls this a secret. What's the secret? The secret is living in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus and experiencing the blessing of living in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, where our highest value isn't comfort, it's contentment. If you're gonna follow Jesus and you're gonna take that seriously, there are going to be times, the scripture warns us, the scripture is good that it, it tells us what to expect. There are going to be times when you're following Jesus where you are quite simply uncomfortable, there are going to be times when you're, you're too hot or you're too cold or you don't like the food that's being presented to you. You might actually go a little hungry as you follow Jesus. But our highest value is not comfort in the upside-down kingdom. It's contentment. Let's look at the next one, the next blessing and woe, where Jesus says, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Now, I gotta be honest with you, this one also is a little tough for me because if we're just focusing on those words, laugh and weep, I like to laugh. I don't like to cry. And so focused on those words, I don't know that we're really getting what Jesus meant to communicate to the crowds. Does Jesus saying, blessed are you if you walk around grumpy and mopey all the time? I don't think so. On the other side of that, I don't think he's saying if you're chipper and joyful and cheery that you're on the path to destruction. I don't think that's what he's saying. So if he's not saying that, what is Jesus saying? When you come to faith in Jesus, when you receive the salvation of Jesus, you receive new joys. I mean, the good news is good news. Because when you are in Christ, you have the hope of an eternity spent in his presence, apart from all of the negative effects of sin that drag us down and weigh us down in the here and now. All of your guilt, all of the shame that you feel because of what you've done or what somebody has done to you, all of that can be lifted by the grace of Jesus. We get new joys when we come to faith in Jesus. That is good news. You also receive, when you come to Jesus, new pain. I mean, Jesus leads the way. He reveals to us, if you're going to follow me, you're going to pick up a cross. Jesus led by example. Jesus wept. 
the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. In that instance, Jesus wept in grief over the loss of a friend. Jesus also wept in the New Testament when he comes to the city of Jerusalem. He looks out over the people and his heart breaks for the lost nation. He so desires for them to know the good news. It says he weeps because they're like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion for them. Jesus leads the way. He experiences the new pain that we experience. The scripture tells us all throughout the New Testament, this is predictable. Don't be surprised when trials come your way, the scripture says. The scripture goes so far as to say, actually, consider it joy. Because we know that going through these things is going to produce character in our lives. We get the new joys, but we also get the new pain. And I'm so thankful that the scripture tells us that, sets us up for that. The temptation, though, in this kingdom where we are king, the temptation that we have is to avoid that pain, to escape that pain. And so we, we love being a part of the church and we like coming to the church building. We love Kingsway. We like being together. We like drinking the coffee and singing the songs we like and listening to the preachers we like. And we're just together. We feel good when we're together. We kind of look like each other and talk like each other. And we're just kind of in this bubble where we huddle together and we just pretend for a little bit like all the trouble and evil and darkness of the world doesn't exist. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be connected to the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs you. You need the body of Christ. Don't neglect this. What we're doing, this is good. But if our experience with the body of Christ begins and ends with just coming together for a little bit on a Sunday morning, we are not pursuing the mission that Jesus Christ sent his body to do, which is to go into the world to make disciples and baptize them and teach them, to take the good news. We're on the same mission that these original 12 whose lives were turned upside down, we're on that mission today to tell people about Jesus, to take the light into the darkness. And so instead of escaping that, which is a temptation in this temporary life, instead we have empathy. That's what we choose. In the upside down kingdom of Jesus, we choose empathy over escape, which means that we feel it. We don't ignore what's happening in the world around us. Instead, we weep over it like Jesus. And we're motivated to take the message of salvation in him to the world. When is the last time that you wept over a friend who does not know the salvation of Jesus? When is the last time when you've spoken of the evil and darkness of the world instead of just growing bitter and angry your heart broke, and you were then motivated to take the light into that darkness. You see, in the upside-down kingdom, we choose empathy over escape. We're going to look at the last one, the last blessing in woe, and this is where Jesus essentially reveals to us the results of what happens. If we live in the upside-down kingdom, if we choose stewardship over self when it comes to our financial resources, if we choose contentment over comfort, if we choose empathy over escape, here's what's gonna happen. This is what your life is gonna look like if you live in this kingdom. This is what the scripture says. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. The scripture continues, and it says this, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, 
for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. If Jesus is anything, he's honest. I mean, this doesn't sound fun. Nobody wants to be hated or rejected or spoken of as evil. We don't like it. But wholeheartedly following Jesus brings it. We should expect this. Now, I know many of us are familiar with the types of persecution that happen in different parts of the world. There are places today where doing what we're doing right now brings about extreme persecution. People can lose their jobs for doing this. When people are are baptized in certain nations, sometimes their homes are set on fire, their family members are harmed. There are people who go to their deaths in order to follow Jesus. Now, I know in our world, in our nation, our culture today, things are getting increasingly tense. Things are getting more and more difficult to follow Jesus. But listen, it's different. And I think that we should celebrate and thank God for the freedom that we have to do what we're doing right now. We shouldn't take this for granted. What what we've done so far in this place worshiping the name of Jesus, publicly proclaiming the scriptures. This is illegal in many parts of the world. And so we shouldn't take this for granted. I think we should be motivated and inspired and filled with boldness when we consider our brothers and sisters who are going to their death for the cause of following Jesus. I thank God for people who are willing to suffer for the cause of Jesus. I'm so thankful for that. Now, even though we have these freedoms, and it's different than a lot of the world, we still experience hardship. Jesus lays it out there for us. Maybe some of you are here and you're the only person in your family who is attempting to follow Jesus. There's ridicule, there's mockery. Things get weird in families when that happens. You might say you're headed to Kingsway and and you're met with resistance. I'm going to drink that Kingsway Kool-Aid again. Young people, when you go to a university somewhere, there might be a professor that mocks you for your biblical worldview. If, if any of you uphold a, a biblical traditional view of, of marriage and gender and sexuality, there are people in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods who say, oh, come on, get with the times. That's so old and outdated. You might lose friends. Things in your family might get complicated, but Jesus tells us to expect it. And he actually tells us not just to expect it, but to rejoice and leap for joy when that happens because you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Listen, if you're serious about following Jesus and this world doesn't have a problem with you, something's not right. I don't need to convince you of how far our world has gone in terms of following Jesus. In the world in which we live today, it's so dark, it's so evil, that of course the light is going to shine and stand out in the darkness. Jesus tells us, rejoice. If you're, if you're being spoken well of, something's not connecting. But if they're rejecting you and hating you, you might just be on the right track. It can be a hard pill to swallow, but don't forget, in your suffering for Jesus, you're not alone. I mean, just look around this room. Here at Kingsway, those who were here with us in first service, you're not alone. You've got some brothers and sisters in Auburn, Indiana, just north of Fort Wayne. We're with you. We're in this together. Not only that, every little church between here and there, we have an army. 
We are in this together, and Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Son of God is with you in this effort to follow him and to take the message of hope to a lost and hurting and broken world. This is what this is all about. There are two ways to live. You can either live in the kingdom of of the here and now where you are king, or you can choose to live in the upside-down kingdom. And I I believe our direction and our challenge today is clear. What should we do with all of this? Let's live in the upside-down kingdom. Choose stewardship over self, contentment over comfort, empathy over escape, and be willing to suffer. Rejoice when it happens because we're on the right track. Listen, maybe your only experience of preaching or the Bible or, or church has been all about the woes. Maybe your experience with, with this whole church thing has been Bible thumping and, and repent or burn, and, and that's the message you've heard. If that's your experience, I encourage you this morning to hear the blessings of the upside-down kingdom. Jesus has called us into a kingdom where, yes, there are guidelines and there are warnings, but listen, he does this for our good. There is a blessing that comes. This truly is. I don't just say this because I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to. I say this because I've experienced it and I feel it. Living in the upside down kingdom is the best possible way to live your life. Maybe on the other side of that, in your experience with preaching the Bible, the church, all you've heard are the blessings. Jesus just wants to make you happy. Come to faith in Jesus. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be healthy. Everything's going to go your way. If that's been your experience, may I challenge you this morning to hear the woes of the upside-down kingdom. And it's just like that sign, danger. God, in his great love for you and for me, has a beautiful waterfall of life that he desires for us to see and enjoy and savor. We just need to stay on the path. So we'll get there. I want to close with a a quote from a preacher and an author. And this really flies in the face of of any of you who might be here today or any of the negative voices that you hear that, you know, following Jesus, being a Christian, this is all just about a, a long list of things that you can do and a long list of things that you can't do. When we consider the upside down kingdom, listen to these words. It says, I believe Christians often perceive obedience to God as some test just to see if we're really committed to him. But what if, what if it's designed as God's way of giving us what's best for us? Listen, I don't know where you are on your journey of faith this morning. This may be your first time in this building. Maybe you've been following Jesus for seven or eight decades. The reality is probably most of us are somewhere in between those two extremes. I don't know where you are, But I know for sure there's one thing that is true for all of us in this room. That is, if we choose to live in the upside-down kingdom, there is power in the name of Jesus to turn our lives upside down. The things that we thought would give us joy and peace and contentment don't. Jesus has something new and better for us. And when we live in that kingdom and we submit to Jesus, not just receive him as savior, but submit to him as king, man, there's a blessed life. 
He transforms us. He takes our anxieties and he, he turns it into peace. Jesus takes our, our worry and he turns it into trust. He takes our greed, he turns it into generosity. Jesus changes us, he transforms us. He takes our bondage to sin and he turns it into freedom. Jesus takes our insecurities, he turns it into confident belief in the mission that he sent us on. He takes our identity from worthless and gives us purpose. Jesus Christ transforms us. There is wisdom in living in the upside down kingdom. Hear the wisdom of Jesus today. Believe in the wisdom of Jesus today. Trust it, obey it, and choose to live in the upside-down kingdom. Let's go ahead and, and stand together this morning. We're going to enter into a time of prayer. We're going to sing another song. I'd like to go before our Heavenly Father in prayer as we prepare our hearts for that. God in heaven, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for this church, this place that believes it and trusts it and is being transformed by it. Lord, thank you that within your word, through your son, Jesus Christ, you've revealed the best possible way to live. And God, today, as we prepare to sing these words and, and listen to the truth of these words, that you would stir in the hearts of each and every person in this place today, calling us, to live in the upside-down kingdom. Lord, I know that there are people here who have stepped to the left or to the right. We've lived with, with ourselves as king. And so, Lord, I pray for the conviction of your spirit to lead us in your kindness to repentance and returning to the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. Lord, I pray a good work would happen in this room today that more and more people would experience the blessing of living in the upside-down kingdom. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.